everyone. This is Mind Alchemy. Um, this podcast is aimed to have conversations aimed to shift perception, transforming our pain into our greatest ally and to empower our soul. Um, today on my guest um, list, I have Chiquita Kotoko. She has been my childhood friend um, and she's extremely passionate about humanitarian, all things humanitarian, human rights. Um, she actually has her own organization that she's working towards, which we'll introduce later in the show. Um, so Chiquita, welcome to the show. Hi, Soumya. Thank you so much for having me here. It's so exciting and I'm really honored to be on your show. Me too. Um, thank you so much. Um, so today's topic we collectively decided to do on the art of giving. And the reason why I chose to do um, this topic with Chiquita was because, um, because of her passion um, for giving. And I want to start out with a question on, um, in terms of giving, you know, we know that the world now is becoming a more selfish world. Um, and why do you think that uh, so many people have forgotten the art of giving um, and being humanitarian uh, as it to just being voluntary thing to do just, you know, on the side? Uh, what has contributed to this? Yeah, this is a really good question. So first, uh, I would like to shed some light on the art of giving back. So the Time magazine wrote an article called The Secret to Happiness is Helping Others. This is an article I would recommend to your listeners to have a look at. The article highlights that the greatest thinkers have mentioned true happiness can be found in helping others and serving the community. This idea of service and has been frequently emphasized for generations. There is a Chinese quote stating, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherent a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. Similarly, the Nobel Peace Prize recipient, Muhammad Yunus, said making money is happiness. Making other people happy is a super happiness. How true of those words. I really like those two quotes. Absolutely. We can look to science to prove that giving uh, can generate happiness as well. Uh, through fMRI technology, we now know that the giving... Uh, or art of giving activates the same parts of the brain that are stimulated by food and sex, for example. It activates endorphins in the brain and channels pleasure. Considering all this information, it makes me think that the art of giving back was and still is vital to the fabric of our being, but we are gradually drifting away from it. There are some reasons why. So the first, in my opinion, would be the world we live in today perpetuates competition. Many of us, albeit subconsciously, have adopted or fostered this idea that we live in a state of lack and not in a state of abundance. Hence, there are not many opportunities out there for all of us. This is not true. There are an abundance of opportunities, but there is a grave polarization in the distribution of those opportunities because right. of unconscious, implicit biases and prejudice within our societal institutions. This leads me to the second point, which is individuals that want to give back to the community and would like to do it full time are not necessarily supported, either financially or otherwise, to do it. For example, whether it is in New Zealand or Canada or elsewhere in the world, most opportunities to give back are voluntary in that you're not remunerated for your time. Mm -hmm. In the climate we live in today, 
where the COVID-19 pandemic has stripped away opportunities for paid employment, we are seeing individuals from certain sections of society struggling to provide for their families. When this is our current reality, it is not only difficult, but also unfair to expect people to choose between putting bread on the table and taking up voluntary work to serve the community. But right. do not get me wrong. Voluntary work is great. It's important. But when you look at large organizations that are doing incredible and important work to promote human rights and uplifting vulnerable communities, you will often find that the opportunities they offer to work in this space require individuals to work for several months, full-time and unpaid. This structure bars passionate change makers who are often from marginalized sections of society from gaining access to these opportunities. This, in effect, enables further polarization in society because you do not have the representation you need and require in these spaces. Uh, so here Absolutely. I would like to mention um, an action that uh, Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, recently announced uh, that in the week, wake of the um, uh, pandemic, he would be launching a grant that would uh, provide a one-time payment of up to $5,000 for volunteering in the community. For every 100 hours spent, a student will receive $1,000. This would ensure that young people are actively involved in rebuilding society, all the while receiving valuable work experience. However, I think this is just the first step. That mm -hmm. leads me to my third point, and, um, which is also my last point in answering your first question. Uh, humanitarian work can be emotionally taxing. The structures that exist in the world today often make it laborious and sometimes even impossible to serve the community, in which case giving back does not become something that makes you inherently happy, but instead makes you feel stressed, depleted, and taken advantage of. Right. That's brilliant. That's well put. Um, going deeper into um, talking about... Um, you know, activism and human rights, especially in times of today, um, when there's, um, you know, rallies with Black Lives Matter. Uh, there's particularly, um, you know, a crowd which people have talked about, the influencers who are um, posting just for the sake of it, what we would call performative activism. Uh, so what do you uh, have to say about that, um, you know, activism done to merely just to fit in? Um, What's your take on that? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. Um, so like you mentioned, um, performative activism is, refers to activism that increases an individual's social capital as opposed to their devotion to a particular cause. The way I see it is performative activism plays into social and political optics. An example of this is a person living in a mansion owning branded shoes and bags doesn't necessarily have to be rich. He, right. he could be one who has a massive loan. And on the basis of that loan, they've been able to purchase all these things. Uh -huh. uh, similarly, um, sometimes individuals have the tendency to succumb to performative activism and by doing so tend to conduct themselves in a particular manner, not because it is the right thing to do, but because it is the in thing to do, like you said. Right. So the question how can we turn performative activism into real activism and become true allies to, like you mentioned, our um, uh, African-American counterparts uh, and other individuals who are from uh, marginalized uh, communities? 
So I think the first step here is educate yourself about the issues at hand. You can do this by reading books from diverse authors, watching documentaries and movies that display an experience that is different to your own. This is extremely important because mm-hmm. you to get out of your bubble, uh, pun intended or not intended, depends on your viewers how they look <laughs> at it. But better yet, uh, you can talk uh, to people who do not necessarily share your opinion uh, of, on certain views. Right. This interaction this debate, this discussion is extremely important, especially in these precarious and unprecedented times. However, the idea here is not to convert someone else's opinion, but solely to develop your own understanding about issues at hand and open your mind to a diversity of thought, opinions, and experience. There is this incredible quote that I would like to um, share with your uh, listeners. Sure. It goes, how hard it is to change yourself and you'll understand what little chance you have in trying to change others Uh so this uh, or the start of this process anyway is mostly about self-education so you need to start with yourself as opposed to I'm looking to educate the person in front of me or my friend or my dad or whoever it is Uh so the second step would then be You must be consistent in this endeavor. It is not going to be easy. Let's face it, you are bound to make mistakes. Irrespective, you have to make a consistent effort. And this requires a certain degree of commitment, right? Um, Because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall down. You'll have to get back up. You'll have to educate yourself again. And times are changing. So things in society are currently extremely dynamic. And so you'll have to keep educating yourself. You may keep making mistakes, but you have to keep learning from them as well. So this is where your networks, like your friends, family, professors, colleagues at work, uh, community members even, will have to lead with empathy, right? Uh, Leading with empathy is the key point here. Rather than shutting down the conversation or resorting to ad hominem attacks, which has become the norm these days, it is best to explain your point of view and better yet, your experiences that support your views. Um, As a community, we must provide the others the room to grow and to learn from their mistakes. Otherwise, we cannot expect change. We can only expect complacency. Mm -hmm. And I think the third is be critical and ask questions uh questions that um that you know uh you will ask to the media for example for whatever they're publishing on their platforms or what you're reading in a or in a newspaper or in an article uh where are the resources uh you know find the primary resources if you have time and question those look at um uh, talk to people, talk to your professors, question them in class uh, over the things you're reading in your textbooks. Uh, fact checking here is important, especially before you repost them on your social media. That's very true. And I think what I'm gathering from your response is to dig deeper, to not just, you know, fall for the clickbait or to just, you know, post one uh, you know, picture on Instagram, but really just to dig deeper and gain knowledge about what really, um, you know, a cause is about before posting things just to, um, I guess, fit in. Um, I think that was a brilliant, brilliant, um, you know, feedback. Um, and so in terms of the world heading towards more of um, 
social media and, um, you know, in times of Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, there's a whole wave of narcissism that's, um, you know, I guess increasing uh, or like a me mindset. Um, how do you think we can become less uh, self-absorbed? Because even with people trying to fit in, um, it is just merely to get that kind of external validation, you know, rather than really trying to get to know, like you said about the actual cause, dig deeper, ask the professors. Um, uh, so uh, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, this is a good question as well. Um, so I would rather uh, use the term the me mentality or me mindset as opposed to narcissism, because I think narcissism is quite a heavy duty word here. And I think most of us are doing the best that we can under the conditions um, that we are provided or we have. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess in that sense, uh, I would like to say that you have to start by looking within, like I answered in your previous question. So this requires a huge degree of self-reflection and introspection. But many of us are afraid to do that. We do not want to acknowledge how we feel. Uh, we do not want to acknowledge uh, or recognize our flaws. And so we numb our feelings and we ignore all the traits that make us unique. And so right. I think the first right. here is really to, like you said, dig deeper and look to yourself figure out um, who you are as a person first. And once you are sort of confident in your reality, in yourself, in your abilities, regardless of what your flaws are, you will find that you will sort of uh, align or um, come to contact with people that are of similar views and then people who are open-minded and who will want to educate um, themselves. And hopefully you will educate yourself in the process as well. Here, I would also like to talk a little bit about, um, you know, social ascription versus self-ascription. And this is a really interesting concept that I learned not too long ago. So right. basically, self-ascription right. for your listeners is how you identify yourself. So how does a person identify themselves? Like you could look to what is known as the iceberg theory. So you would say um, there is a certain part of yourself that you show others or the others can and can see. Mm. But then there's deeper underneath the surface, like your values, your upbringing, your experience, right? Which most people um, who are in front of you are not really going to see that. Like your friends, if they're spending a lot of time with you, then they may have sort of an idea, but maybe not the entire picture. Uh, because a lot of us tend to hide, you know, certain parts of ourselves uh, subconsciously or unconsciously. So it's really important to realize who we are first. And then, of course, there's the way in which um, society views us, right? And uh, Very the true. way in which society us could be sort of just, you know, institutional structures, for example, and uh, quotas. Um, it could be also our prejudices, prejudices from other communities, what mm -hmm. we think the other looks like. So there are all these um, dynamics that shape how we behave in society. And so mm -hmm. that's why um, it's not really about, you know, changing somebody else's opinion, but more so educating yourself because that in itself is a task on its own. 
So of course, when you have sort of done that for yourself and you've um, self-reflected or introspected, mm-hmm. you then sort of are leading as opposed to sort of dictating. So you want to sort of lead in that sense by starting with yourself, working on yourself, and hopefully the people around you who are inspired by your actions will follow suit. So that's one really good way of um, sort of stepping out of uh, me mentality. That's very brilliant. And I think that's what calls for a leader is um, to not follow the herd mentality and to really just um, figure out our own subconscious. That's interesting. I think um, when you uh, talked about the um, the parts that we show to the world, it reminded me of that uh, Japanese, um, you know, those four faces, the first face you show to the world, the second face you show to your close friends, um, and then the third face is just for you. Um, your yes. truest reflection. So I think that's very true. Um, and yeah, absolutely. We should deep dig deep into the subconscious. Um, in terms of, uh, for you, why is it important to uh, stand for the causes in the modern world today? Um, you know, there's so many issues going on. I could even, you know, starting from January all the way to July right now, there's so much that has happened. Um, so uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, uh, I think it's really important uh, to be involved in your community in some capacity. Uh, Of course, you know, the times we live in, like I mentioned, they're precarious and unprecedented times. So we can't expect people to do this full time if they have to choose uh, between putting bread on the table and serving the community. But definitely be involved. And it could be something as small as talking to your family members uh, Mm -hmm. at the dinner table and uh, sharing what you learned today. It could be about, you know, correcting your colleague who um, has certain stereotypical views about other communities. Um, It could be by even recommending a film, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, that shows a different kind of experience to somebody who would otherwise not necessarily see it. So you can, there are these small things that you can do uh, that can really encourage other people to be involved and educate. Um, And so education is a really powerful tool here to uh, change uh, the community. And you don't have to change the world as in, you know, I'm going out there and I'm going to change the world. But you start small. Hopefully there will be ripple effects that follow. So um, start with with your family. I think family is the basic unit of society. So start Mm -hmm. with them. Talk to them. Um, And the reason this is important is because we all are connected, right? Indirectly, directly, doesn't matter, but we all are connected. So if you see that, for example, in the case of George Floyd, um, when we uh, the videos were released, people all over the world were seeing what what happens to the African American community in the United States of America, and of course in other countries as well. Mm-hmm. And so we connected with that. We connected with that, and uh, we connected with the grief. We connected with the anger, the frustration, and you know this is if. Um, the African community is affected in this way. That means we all are affected in this way. And so we all must stand up and say something about it because this is not correct. Um, And that takes a lot of courage. Um, Courage, why? Because oftentimes you'll find that uh, people who are trying to do the right thing are not applauded, right? uh, They have to do things that are right um, even when people are not looking and not applauding for you. So Mm -hmm. I would say... uh, this is difficult, yes, 
but it's the right thing to do and it's the important thing to do nobody said it was going to be easy so uh, you start small uh, you start by educating yourself you have those important conversations don't shy away from them especially with your friends family and colleagues and then hopefully through a ripple effect you'll find small changes which will invariably uh, and if inevitably lead to bigger bigger changes mm-hmm. and you will see that reflecting in in larger spaces like uh, in in legislation and in policy and law and all those areas in journalism hopefully so again right. these things need to start at a grassroots level and um they also need to be at the top as well from both sides and hopefully it'll come and meet in the middle but it all starts with us i think and getting involved in these causes absolutely and i think you're right about um starting small with just a family unit because i think when people think of the word um humanitarianism they think it's like changing the world and just you know donating tons of money um you know and i've seen like one of my friends she donated her hair um for cancer as a form of charity so for those people who are i guess not having the monetary um resources they could simply just do something as simple as that right um and then there's also uh the other kind of humanitarians which um they're you know serving people but it's done with like all the cameras and everything you know posted on tv so it's a very interesting time that we're living in right now um but i wanted to ask you um about your own personal experience um how has giving back to the community added value to your life um and what are some of the benefits of leading a humanitarian life um you know i know that you're hugely passionate about your organization so um yeah if you would like to share something about that of course so um well i think i get my uh, sense of altruism from my parents i've seen my parents constantly working to serve the community uh from a very young age so that sort of fostered the spirit of giving back um to the community and selflessly giving back so there must be no expectation that you will receive something in return of your service and i know i may sound a little hypocritical here if i'm asking for uh jobs in human rights but um that is a need right because if you are right. expecting people to work uh full time uh you need to make sure that they're getting paid so that they can put 100% of their int- uh, attention to actually building society and supporting vulnerable communities absolutely so um going back to you know my personal experience it would be definitely you know my parents played a huge part in this but um also my personal experiences so it's uh, you know living as an immigrant in new zealand has been a little difficult of course i'm a i'm a citizen now but um i think most uh, immigrants and refugees will testify to this and that it is not easy moving from your home country into another country and then uh, establishing a life for yourself there are up to number of challenges that you experience mm-hmm. and hopefully challenges that you have um and experience uh, will hopefully go into sort of supporting other people and working to serve people who have been in a similar situation to you so right. i uh, definitely right. use these experiences these experiences these unfavorable experiences to hopefully benefit the community through my actions um and so for a really long time i worked as a motivational speaker this was something that i'd not planned 
but it just sort of fell into my lap, this opportunity. And uh, I've been um, sort of uh, taking on this responsibility and um, trying to do my best to it. Uh-huh. So I've been going to schools and uh, universities and uh, different organizations and companies even just to talk about uh, different issues like bullying, about um, uh, gender inequality, about um, uh, various issues that plague our society today. Uh, in 2014, I got this incredible opportunity to uh, work with an organization called RISE. And they were trying to educate the community in Mumbai about uh, violence against women, which was, is still a really important topic that needs to be discussed more in, in India and all over the world, not just India. Um, and so I got uh, an opportunity to work with them uh, as, as a journalist, if you will. And then, of course, it led to other opportunities um, that were similar in, in that sense. So training teachers, for example, in conflict resolution skills. It was uh-huh. not until uh, this year, at the beginning of this year, that I got this incredible opportunity to uh, start my own branch uh, called FFIPP uh, or FIP Aotearoa. So Aotearoa is the Maori name for New Zealand. And um, so FIP Aotearoa uh, started off at the beginning of this year, but how did it start? It, uh, it started originally by a small group of uh, individuals who were really passionate about uh, discussing issues relevant to the Israel-Palestine situation. And of mm-hmm. course, the network grew. Um, so we have now branches all across Europe uh, and uh, USA and Brazil, and mm-hmm. now even in the Oceania region, uh, with FIP uh, Aotearoa being the fourth branch. So we are the first in the Oceania region. And through this organization, I've been really trying to develop uh, FIP Aotearoa to uh, create space where um, we can get students or young people to be actively involved in in various facets of our society, particularly uh, in policy, law, government. Um, Those are spaces that are oftentimes underrepresented. Uh, Uh And there are a few people, but uh, in the guise of tokenism. So it's really important for me to sort of foster talented, capable individuals who just need a little bit more direction and support and mentoring to get into these spaces and really, in in a way, disrupt the system and try to create some kind of change. And now when I say disrupt the system, I wouldn't want your uh, listeners to feel like this this is like a violent attack but more so to sort of uh, acknowledge where things are going wrong and uh, really hold power to account, which is extremely important in these times. So uh, we need people who have been affected by the current policies and laws that are in place to speak up uh, and speak out uh, about how these um, particular policies and laws that are supposed to be helping people are actually harming people. So that's the aim of uh, FIP Another thing that we want to do is, again, going back to education, which I think has become sort of a common uh, theme in this uh, podcast. It is to educate people about human rights issues. So we want to be as objective as we possibly can Uh and really and talk about um, the facts as they are on the ground. What is the ground reality of things that are happening in in the world today? So these are the two we have and um, we are a young organization of about uh, five people 
So, uh, and we are slowly growing it. Uh, and so that's really nice to see that young people um, in and around Aotearoa and of course overseas as well are getting involved. And that makes me really, really happy and excited. So I'm optimistic about the future. That's brilliant, Chiquita. I mean, I think that's, you know, you're doing your part and that's um, amazing. You're an example to other people to, um, you know, the the wanting of just giving and the wanting of um, helping out. And it's not a huge deal. You know, many of us make it a huge deal. Um, but you're a great example. So thank you so much. Um, and just to wrap things up, um, if you have any favorite quotes that you just want to throw out there, um, you know, any of your uh uh, you know, favorite quotes from your childhood or any time that you've read, uh, uh, you know, something that you've come across that you would like to share? Yeah, of course. So there are a couple of quotes that I would like to share, if you don't mind. And if you sure, sure. like, so um, some of them are by Rumi. So I really like uh, this particular quote, which highlights um, recognizing your own inherent potential. Uh, so Rumi says, you were born with wings. Why do you prefer to crawl through your life? I really love that quote. Mm. Uh, and there's another quote um, by Rumi as well, is what you seek is seeking you. Uh, I, I just really admire Rumi's work. And definitely for your listeners, um, check out his work. Uh, he has some really interesting and important uh, things to share. Another quote, I'm not too sure who said it. But um, I think it was uh, by a man by the name of Quick. And he said, um, trade cleverness for bewilderment. And I think that's sort of uh, the mantra that I use nowadays. Uh, so instead of trying to sort of be intelligent or clever, I just keep my mind open and I'm constantly curious um, and I'm constantly learning. So that, these are a couple of quotes that I think um, your listeners will appreciate. That's brilliant, Chiquita. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, on the show and um, uh, it was amazing to have a talk, uh, have a conversation with you. It was it was brilliant. It really uh, helped me learn and engage. Um, and definitely, I feel like a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Samia. I really, really appreciate this opportunity to speak to your listeners and to you as well. So thank you again. Thanks so much. Bye. Take care. Bye. So this was Chiquita, guys. Um, let me know if uh, you like this podcast and share if you like it. Thank you so much.